uh, as I mentioned a little bit ago, and most of you already know it because you're the ones that put this thing together for us, is the, uh, we're taking a trip to Israel here in a couple, uh, just about a week. We're leaving on, uh, we're leaving actually Monday evening. We're going we're gonna to drive up to D.C. and spend the night. Our flight leaves pretty early on Tuesday morning. And uh, so rather than having to get somebody out at 5 o'clock in the morning to take us up there, we're just going to spend the night up there in D.C. and, and uh, make our way over there in the morning. But um, we fly from D.C. to Atlanta, and I think we have a four-hour delay in Atlanta, or four-hour layover in Atlanta. And then we fly to Paris, and then from Paris on to Israel. And so uh, it's, I, I, I think Israel is seven hours ahead of us, by the way, just so you know where we are at what, and what time. And uh, we'll try to keep in touch at least... Uh, at least through Brian or some of the others, and, and let you know what's going on. But then my plan is when we get back, and so we, uh, the 28th is a Tuesday. I think our our flight leaves from Israel at 11 o'clock at night on, on Monday night, their time. We get back because of the time change at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on uh, Tuesday morning, the 28th. And so, um, but my plan is then to take all the things that we see and all the things that we talk about and, and, um, it's, uh, it's a lot of preparation that we've had to put into this. Um, uh, David Cloud is the one that's leading this trip, and he's, um, he's got several college classes that he's taught on Israel and Bible geography and written a bunch of books on it. And so the requirements for us to be able to go on this trip, um, he had two books, one of them that was, I think, 750 pages, and one of them that was about 650 pages that we had to read and answer questions on. Uh, we had to take, um, I think it was a three-part series on Bible geography that he had taught that we had to watch. Uh, we had to get a couple map books and, and read through those. And then he wrote a 45-page, um, like, like eight and a half by 11, not just 45 little pages. So um, I don't know how many it would be if it was actually in a book. But he wrote, a, he wrote that about all the places that we're going to see, and he's given us four tests over those things. So... Um, and I think, I think each test had about 75 questions on it. So we've made it through three of those tests already. We've got one more left to go. Uh, so we're prepared. I feel like I've already been to Israel and back three times. So um, it's just going to, you know, might be let down when I finally get there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, I know where that is, you know. No, but it's good. There's a lot of, um, there's several people that have been to Israel before that I've talked with and said, man, if I had something like that before I went, it would have been huge. We got to these places and I didn't even know what I was looking at, you know, so um, I, I think it's going to be really exciting and, and uh, a, a really good education in, a different, in, in addition to just being able to see those places. And so my plan is when I get back to take the next four Sunday nights or so and talk about each of those places and how they fit in with the Bible and how they line up with everything that we see in the Old and the New Testament. And um, I've already just through the study that we've been doing, I've already seen that. And it's just amazing how much it opens the Bible up. Um, and uh, to being able, and, and hopefully it'll do a, a little bit of the same for you when it comes to actually seeing pictures and, and some videos of these places, and you know, now you get a picture in your mind of exactly what it looks like when you're talking about these different places in Israel, and, and uh, so hopefully that'll be a help to you as well, but you know, one of the things that we have uh, uh, thought about is, you know, sh- sure, sure enough, what's going to happen, we haven't had any snow all year, and probably on February the 13th, we're going to have the biggest snowfall, and you know, we're going to have a, a, our flight is delayed. And uh, that's what happens so often. You know, one of the most dreaded words in air travel. And of course, they glare it up there in these bright yellow, you know, bright yellow letters, delayed. You know, your flight's delayed. Uh, and, it, and that very word sounds like what it represents. It's just a long, indefinite period. When it says delayed, you don't know what time it's going to be delayed till, right? And, um, you know, 
few updates, if you will, bring more downcast looks than that flight being delayed from wherever you are to wherever you're going. It starts making you wonder if you're going to catch your connecting flight. It starts making you wonder if your flight's going to get canceled. It starts making you wonder if you're actually even going to make it to your destination on time and all of those other things. And so then you start trying to look for somebody to blame. Whose fault is this? You know, why am I, why, where can I get another co cup of coffee where I wait for this thing to, to, uh, to be rescheduled? But you know, and you can, you can pace back and forth if you want. You can fret if you want. You can blame somebody else. You can join the ranks of all those who are fussing about the plane being delayed. But at the end of the day, all you can do is sit and wait until that plane gets rescheduled. There's nothing you can do about it when it's been delayed. And there's a lot of times when we hit delays in life as well. Things that come up that make us wonder uh, what the next step is that we should take makes us second guess everything that we've done up to that point, maybe even the choices that we have that are facing us. Maybe you're living through one of those delays of life right now. Maybe you're in a holding pattern. Maybe you don't know exactly what it is that God wants you to do next. Maybe you don't know uh, what your next step should be. We find in Psalm 27, and boy, what a great passage this whole chapter is, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the last couple verses to you. It says this in verse number 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the delays of life, the delays of life. What happens when we find ourselves in a place where we're being delayed? What can we be doing? What should we be doing while we wait? Let's pray. And then we'll look at a few things here in the Bible this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity to be here. I pray that you would help this time to be profitable for us, and especially for those who may be going through difficult things in their life right now. God, I pray that you'd help us to learn to wait on you. Well, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Five points for you this morning. They're mostly going to be pretty quick. But turn over to Proverbs 27, if you will. Proverbs 27, and when I'm talking about the delays of life, I'm not talking about getting to the airport and finding out that your flight is delayed. Uh, I use that as an example, but I'm talking about many times we go through life, and there are times when we feel like we've hit a brick wall. Honestly, we're kind of at that point in our church right now, right? We don't know where God is going to take us. This property has been sold. It's been sold for a while now. We've been looking for a place for a while now, and it just seems like every avenue we go down ends up being a dead end, and we have to back up and try to go down a different avenue. We don't know what God wants us to do. It's a delay in life. Now, we just sang that song, God leads his dear children along. I'm not worried about this, and I don't, I, I don't know if, if most of you are or not. I'm not worried about what God's going to do. God did not bring us this far to leave us in the wilderness. Remember, that's, that's where the children of Israel asked God, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Did you bring us out of Egypt so you could leave us in the wilderness? Yeah, that's why I brought you out of Egypt, right? I brought you out of Egypt so you could wander around for a while, and I'm just going to leave you there, and you can figure it out on your own. Of course, that's not what God's doing for the children of Israel back then, and that's not what he's doing for us now. He's leading us somewhere. He's taking us to something, whether we're wandering around in the wilderness right now or not. I don't know if that's the way you could say it, but, but I know that God is leading us somewhere. God has something for us. And when he shows us what it is, it's going to be an amazing thing for us. It's going to be exactly what our church needs. But I, I think the first thing that we need to see is this. Nothing is sure. Nothing is sure. Proverbs 27 verse 1 makes that very clear. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. 
Right? How many times do we say, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to do this, the next week I'm going to do this, the next month I'm going to do that, next year by this time I'm going to be doing this? Now the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring, let alone next week or next month or next year or 10 years from now. Right? And I'm a planner. I like to have everything planned out. I like to know what's coming next. I like to, I like to be organized and know where everything is going to go. And I, I, I made that mistake many times in my life where I had everything planned out and God came in and just changed everything on me and it threw me into a tailspin because now what? This is not the way that it was going according to my plans. Doesn't it seem like the moment we start feeling like we have everything figured out that something comes up and helps us realize we don't? Right? Many times life is like that, you know, and our, our times are in God's hand. The Bible says in Psalm 31, verse 15, my times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. See, the, the original time may have been what we planned, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was right. It doesn't necessarily mean that was exactly what God wanted for our life. Sometimes we think we know what's best, and what we think is best is not always what God thinks is best for our lives or I shouldn't say thinks, what God knows is best for our lives. The only sure thing is that God is on the throne and that he's working his plan in our lives. So I say, number one, nothing is sure, but number two, anything could have happened. Anything could have happened. It could always be worse. And we always, uh, 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 a lot of times we tend to see the worst in a situation, right? We don't, we don't look for the blessings, we look for the worsings. How, how much worse it could, you know, how, how bad this is for us, Right? It could always be a whole lot worse. When it comes to things like an airplane flight, a delay could become a cancellation. An on-time departure does not guarantee safety. How many stories have you heard or maybe even been a part of where you said, boy, one minute earlier and I probably would have been dead? Or one minute later and I would have been dead? Could you imagine if I had been at this place at this time, I was just there and then this happened and people died or, or anything, right? Things always could be worse. Thank God for what he gives you and for what he keeps from you. See, that thing that you may be so upset that you have to wait for just may be God keeping you from something worse. We don't know many times exactly what God wants for us to do in our lives. Now, God does make his will plain to us. He's not, it's, not a, it's not an Easter egg hunt where he's hiding his will behind trees and we have to go find it and, oh, yeah, you found that part, now, now find the next one, right? That's not, God wants us to know what his will is for our lives. He's, he's going to reveal his will to us, but he doesn't always reveal it to us in the way that we want it to be revealed. And sometimes he does make us wait. Sometimes he does have us in that holding pattern. And you might be upset that God's not moving in answer to one of your prayers, but it may be God protecting you from that answer. That answer that you want so desperately may not be what God wants for your life. And when, if God did give you what you're begging him for, it could very well end up being that that was... Uh, it moves you in a completely different direction than what God wanted for your life. You might be frustrated that you're not seeing movement to a new job or, or, or any other number of situations, but it could be God keeping you from stepping outside of his will. I've seen way too many things work out to be upset when God says no. I'll give you a perfect example. Maybe you were in the same boat as a young person, but when I was in college, I dated a good Christian girl for probably 10 months. And, um, you know, I, I had... I thought things were going great. We were both dedicated to serving God. Her dad was a pastor. Things were going well. And maybe I just missed all the signs, but it seemed, it seemed to me like out of the blue, one day she broke up with me. And uh, I mean, it, 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 I was honestly, I was devastated by that. And I, I began to pray that God would work things out so we could get back together. And the way that she broke up with me, I mean, it was through a text message. And that was back in the day when you had to be like ABC, DEF. 
And this thing just went on for like forever. I said, man, it must have took her three hours to type it. It would just been very easy for her to say, I'm dumping you, you know? I mean, why not, you know? But uh, I, so I get this long text message, and the way that the text message came through, it kind of left it open a little bit that maybe there was a chance that when she got her life figured out, everything would come back together, you know? And, and so I, I started praying for that. God, please let everything work out. You know this is the one that you have for me. You know this is your will for my life. Please help her to see that, right? And uh, maybe you prayed the same kind of prayer before. And, it, you know, a month later, she was dating another guy, and I was like, oh, well, there goes those plans, right? And then they broke up, and I was so happy to see that. I was so, I was, no, I'm kidding. But uh, 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 long story short, obviously, I didn't understand how God could do that to me. I was heartbroken. I was trying my best to do his will, trying to my best to find out who it was that he wanted me to marry. And I was, I was, in, um, I, I was, a, I was a junior in college at that point. Of course, if you don't get married by the time you're out of college, you're never getting married. So I was, you know. I wasn't desperate, but I was like, I've got to find somebody before I graduate. If I don't, then it's never going to happen, right? But that really, it really, uh, God, God taught me a lot of things through that whole experience and really, really made me get serious as a Christian, really made me get serious as somebody who was going to go into the ministry and really made me get serious about this idea of finding the person that God wanted me to have for the rest of my life, finding God's will in marriage. And I do believe that God has a will for every single person in marriage. And we just, we talked about that in our teen class this morning. You know, you marry the wrong person doesn't mean that your life is over, but it, it means that it's not God's best for your life. And you're making do with God's plan B instead of what the best thing was for his life. It's so important that you marry that right person. But I, I, I got to the point where I, where I had a conversation, if you will, with God. And I said, I'm not going to date another person until I'm pretty confident that that person is the one that you want me to marry. And I went all the way through the rest of my junior year and all the way through my senior year without dating anyone. And there was a couple people that I thought, you know what, she's a pretty good girl, that might be one that you want, but God always, nope, that's not it. And I didn't, I never, I never asked anybody out. And um, I graduated from college in, in uh, May of 2005, unmarried, undating, and doomed to be single for the rest of my life. And I was traveling in the, in the singing group, the ensemble, uh, that summer. I traveled the summer before that as well. And I was not out there saying, I've got to find somebody in one of these churches where I'm never going to get married. I wasn't, I wasn't desperate. I knew I was going back. I was planning to, uh, to get my master's degree. And, uh, and actually, a, a little bit later on that summer, they actually offered me a job to work there. And so I did. I, I knew I was going back. And, you know, the... the uh, the college student pool is constantly turning over, so I was like, hey, somebody will show up and somebody will come along somewhere and whatever, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't desperate. I wasn't worried about it. I had put it in God's hands, and we took off that summer um, in, in uh, end of May, and June 8th is when we came down to Chesterfield, Virginia, and that's when I met uh, my wife's dad and, and her and it was, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but it was, it was, uh, it's a very interesting story because it was very quick. I mean, it's not like we went out on a date or we went out to eat somewhere and I got to know this girl or anything like that. It was uh, my job when we went to the church was to give the pastor whatever CD we had, uh, the, the, the school or the church, whichever one it happened to be, had produced, and then to give them a catalog of all the classes in the college. That was my job, to give it to the pastor before we left. So he had all those things. And he was standing in the back of the auditorium, uh, or actually outside of the auditorium in the back there, 
And um, I walked up to him to give him these things, and he introduced me to his whole family, and my eyes stopped on one person. And I don't know who else he introduced after that, but uh, no, we got, I got back in the, in the van as we were leaving, and I, and I had seen her sitting uh, there in the auditorium up in the front row next to her mom, who was playing the piano. I didn't know at that time that it was the pastor's wife. I didn't know that she was the pastor's daughter. Um, but, you know, she, she took my attention, and, uh, you know, after that, I started saying, you know, maybe I, should, maybe I should send a letter to her dad and ask him if I could write her. And I was like, she's not going to have any idea who I am. She's not going to know anything about any of that stuff. And, of course, I, I tooted my own horn. I played the trumpet there in the church, so she did remember who I was uh, when I finally wrote to her dad. But we were traveling that whole summer. And, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I can't get mail. They're not going to send it to the van wherever I'm at, you know. So I, I sent her dad a letter just kind of saying, you know what, what do I have to lose, right? So I, we got back halfway through the summer, and I had a letter from her dad that said, you know, she's fine with you writing, a letter, you know, writing her or calling her or whatever else. And even after that, I said, you know, um, by that point, you know, we had been traveling. We had been in a lot of churches. I had seen a lot of different people. Couldn't even remember what she looked like after that. You know, it's not like we had cell phones where we could take pictures of everything. You know, if I did, it was like this big on one of the little flip phones that we carried around. But you, didn't, you, just, didn't, you just didn't do it the way that it is now. And, and so I battled back and forth with that and whatever, but... Long story short, obviously, we, got, we, we ended up getting married, and, and uh, I called down to her dad and, and asked him if I could marry, marry her, and she, he said, well, I need an assistant pastor, too, so I'll give you, I'll give you my daughter if, if, if you'll come work for me, you know? Uh, so I worked for seven years for the one that I wanted, and I uh, threw another three years after that, and I uh, stayed down there working for him for 10 years as an assistant pastor, but I say all that to say that had I gotten what I begged God for, my life would be very, very different. There would be no Mount Victory Baptist Church. Her dad was a pastor down in Texas. He had already semi-offered me a position down there if I, wanted to, if I was going to marry his daughter, that he would hire me as an assistant pastor down there. I probably would be there now doing who knows what. I, I don't know what, but I certainly wouldn't be here. And I say all that to say that sometimes when God says no, not sometimes, all the time, when God says no, and we don't understand, and we don't know why God delayed, and we don't know why God didn't give us what we begged him for. And we're trying to be right with God and trying to please him and try to live for him. And so we think that anything we ask, God's just going to give it to us because we ask and we're trying to do what's right. Sometimes God says, no, it's not the best for you. It, 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 It would be fine. Yeah, she's a good girl. Yeah, her dad's a pastor. Yeah, you'll be in the ministry the way that I'm calling you into the ministry. And all of those things will be fine, but that's not my best. That's not what I want for you. That's not the plans that I have for your life. And I, you know, uh, fast forward a few years from that time when I begged God and prayed that God would do that. And here I am married to the most wonderful woman that I could imagine being married to. Could you imagine this church without my wife? Could you imagine our music here without my wife. I mean, obviously, we have others that, that play and do things, and it's, it's, it's a great addition. It'd be like driving a car with four flat tires. You would not want to see this place without my wife. She does so much behind the scenes and, and so many other things, but God knew exactly what he was doing when he delayed my plans. Nothing is sure. Number two, anything could have happened, but number three, everything must be given to God. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. These are verses that you could probably quote with me. Better to talk to God than to complain to others. But most of the time, our first inclination is to go complain to others. 
or go complain to uh, you know, ourselves in a closet somewhere and have a pity party with ourselves. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6 says this, be careful for nothing. That word careful means anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Boy, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. We tend to be fixers, don't we? We, wanna, we see a problem, most of us, we want to come up with a solution, we want to fix it, and we want to move on. At least that's the way I am, and I know a lot of people are the same way, but it would, be, it would be nice if life worked like that, but most of the time it doesn't. Psalm 37 and verse number 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. God's not looking for us to solve the problems in our lives, he's looking for us to give those problems to him. We tend so often to try to handle everything on our own. We try to finagle things and maneuver things into position so it'll work out the way that we think it should work out, so it'll work out the way we want it to work out, when in actuality what we should be doing is just giving it to God, handing it over to Him. Many times, that's why He allowed the problems and the delays to come in the first place. He wanted us to realize that He is the one we need. When we hit rock bottom, I think a lot of times we hit rock bottom because God wants us to realize that He is the rock at the bottom, and sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget who he is. Sometimes we forget what he is. We could spend a, a, a long while talking about this because it's very easy to say and much harder to do. But when things get difficult, when you face those delays in life, everything must be given to God. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Nothing is sure. Anything could have happened. Everything must be given to God. But number four, something good will come of it. See, very often delays are divine appointments. And we don't see it that way all the time, but that's exactly what it is. God is delaying something because it's a divine appointment. Look for them. We don't always know the reasons for the delays of life, but sometimes they're right in front of you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, this is a verse that's written to Christians. You don't know Jesus Christ. You're not the called according to his purpose. If you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, it's, it's, you're not a person, even though that you might acknowledge God, you're not a person that loves God. But he says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Instead of seeing it as a hindrance, see it as an opportunity. We preach two things to our children over and over, and that is this. Life is not fair, and attitude is everything. Life is never going to be fair, right? There's a lot of times when things happen where it's just not fair, and we want to throw up our hands and say, he cheated, or that's not fair. Why did this happen to me? That should have never happened to me. But attitude is everything. A lot of times you change your attitude toward a situation. A lot of times you change your attitude toward what's happening. It would change your outlook. Look for the silver lining and why God is allowing something. Know that he'll always work things for your good and for his glory. And if you see it that way, then nothing is a delay. Nothing is a disappointment. You see it as God is doing this for, his, for my good and for his glory, then nothing that happens in our lives is something that is a, a hindrance or a disappointment. Not always easy to see it that way, but if we would change our attitude, we'd change our mindset, we'd change our outlook and see it as God did this 
for me. God did this for my good so that he could be glorified through it. Then it would change the way we see everything. And one last thing is this. Turn over to Psalm 40. Nothing is sure, we said. Anything could have happened. Everything must be given to God. Something good will come of it. But lastly, one thing should be done, and that is this. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. We as humans, for the most part, don't like to wait. I don't know about you, but if my wife were to go out and buy something for me for Christmas, let's say, and she bought it two weeks ahead of time and put it under the tree, I can't sit there and look at that thing for two weeks and not try to figure out what's in it, right? That's, that's one of the things with my dad. Huh? And, and uh, when, when we were growing up, uh, we would get him something for Christmas, and we didn't put it out there until the day before because we knew he's going to be doing that exact same thing. But he would be like, oh, you got me a, a, a back massager. I'm like, how do you know that that's a back massager in there? But that's exactly what he always got it right. He always knew what it was, and you're like, well, yeah, okay. Go ahead and open it now. You already know what it is, right? But we don't like to wait. We don't like to, we don't like to be patient. And many times, I think the things that God allows us to, to go through in our lives we're going through because he's trying to teach us that patience. He's trying to teach us that we must, must wait on him. A little boy was standing at the end of an escalator, and a sales lady said, son, are you lost? And he said, no, ma'am, I'm waiting for my chewing gum to come back. <laughs> waiting may not always be fun, but it's rewarding when we're waiting on the Lord. Psalm 40, verse number one. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And many times that's exactly what it is. It's a cry out to God. Just my heart hurts and God, I don't know what way to turn. I don't know what to do. I don't know which direction you want me to head in. I'll head in that direction when I know what it is, but I don't even know which direction to turn. And God is saying, wait patiently for the Lord. He'll incline to us. He'll hear our cry. Why am I in this situation? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do in my life? Why am I not hearing from you? Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14, our, our, our text verse, hopefully will come a little bit more into focus after talking about this this morning. But he says in verse number 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Do you think he's trying to get that point across? That's a short little verse, and twice he said it, but the entire verse is focusing right around that, uh, around that thought. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't give up hope. Keep waiting on him. Keep walking forward for him. Keep serving him. Keep living for him. God will show you what to do as you look to him. Now, waiting doesn't always mean inaction either. It just means not acting until you know what God wants you to do, until you know what step the Lord wants you to take. G. Campbell Morgan, uh, a well-known preacher in the past, said this, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means, first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Waiting is not easy. It's not usually fun. It takes us out of our comfort zone, but it gets us to where God wants us to be. Isaiah 40, verse 31, is a, is a passage that we uh, have read many times. You could quote it probably, and we sing it as a chorus. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the end of that chorus says, teach me, Lord, to wait. Right? Why is that? Because we get so wrapped up in motion. We get so wrapped up, especially in the day and age that we live in, where we've got to constantly be moving. We've got to constantly be doing something. Right? We are so busy in this day and age that we don't even know what it means to just stop and wait. But where does, what, you look at that verse, and, and, and where, does, where do we get to the point where we can run and not be weary, where we can walk and not faint? It's when we're doing effort, when we're putting all the effort into it that we can put into it, or we're busy, or we're in motion. No. He says, when you wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, you renew your strength so you can run and not be weary, so you can walk and not faint. Michael Jordan is, I was going to say probably the best basketball player that ever lived, but he is the best basketball player that ever lived. That, you know, uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron, and all these other debates and whatever else. To me, there's no debate. Michael Jordan is the best basketball player that ever played the game of basketball. But he gave a, a very insightful look into the incredible success that he enjoyed. And he said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. We want to be successful, and often we think that we have to go out and make it happen. But God is just looking to get us to a point where we're waiting on Him, where we're trusting in Him, where we're resting in Him. So the next time you find yourself delayed, pause. Thank God for that delay because it gives us an opportunity to refocus where our focus needs to be, and that's on him. Pause and consider the one who's always on time. He's got everything under control. Someone said this a long time ago, God may be slow, but he's always on time. He may not answer in the way and in the time that you think that he should. He may be slow, but God's always on time. Wait on him. Hey, nothing is sure. Anything could have happened. Everything must be given to God. Something good will come of it. And one thing that we should be doing is just simply waiting on the Lord. You might be in that holding pattern right now. You might be in one of those delays of life where you're not 100% sure which direction God wants you to go. You might be in one of those periods where you're trying to make something happen in your life because you just we, we just got to go. And that's one of the things that, that scares me the most about our church situation. I don't want to make something happen and step out of God's will for our church. Pray about that. But that's the same thing that happens in our lives. So many times we feel like, well, if I'm just waiting, I'm, I'm wasting time. If I'm just waiting, I'm, I'm, I, I should be doing something, and so we try to make something happen when what God wants for us is just simply to wait on him. The delays of life, those delays of life oftentimes are divine appointments. Look for them. It's a great opportunity to just rest in him, trust in him, put everything that we have in him, and wait patiently for the Lord. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness.
Thank you for the promises that we have in your word. God, I'm not 100% sure of what every person in this room is going through this morning, but you do. I don't know where everybody is being delayed. I don't know where everybody is uh, going through difficult times where they may not be getting an answer from God. But God, you know, and I pray that you'd help us to wait on you, to trust in you, to wait for your timing, and to see it as a divine appointment. I pray that you'd help us to change our mindset, change our attitude, change our outlook on life to be more in line with just exactly what it is that you want for our lives. Well, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you